0: He's got questions He's got answers
1: Even though we may not understand, i will talk anyway he got problems He won't sound there. But I'm talking 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 to the blue in the face. Science, faith and life Ask Science Mike. Welcome to another episode of Ask Science Mike. This is a weekly podcast where we believe that every sincere question deserves an honest and non-judgmental response. I'm Mike McCarg, your host, the Science Mike of the title, and I'm a science educator who likes to take an emotionally focused approach to evidence-based information because I think too often when we learn about what science can mean in our lives, in our daily living, in our spiritual journeys, in all the parts of our lives, we tend to be a little too cerebrally focused and we ignore our feelings, and science actually tells us that our feelings are some of the most powerful parts of our brain body system, and that they can influence our actions dramatically, whether or not we pay attention to them. So, the goal of this show is to destigmatize curiosity, to push back on taboos, and to have honest, non judgmental, supportive conversations about anything that we're curious about. It is something that I have enjoyed tremendously over the years, and I'm so glad that you have joined us this week. Speaking of this week, we are facing some really challenging times in the world. Here we are still in the middle of a global pandemic. We've been facing the economic fallout of trying to cope with that pandemic, the mental health fallout, and it's there's been a lot of challenges I know from reading your cards and letters and the questions that you send into the program that many of you have felt anxious and overwhelmed and tired. And I have felt all of those things too. And so it almost feels impossible to cope with the death of George Floyd and the ongoing impacts of police brutality on communities of color especially Black and Native communities in America, in the middle of a pandemic. But what I've noticed is that despite all the challenging times that we're facing and all the, the difficulty in our feelings coping with these situations, that I have been so surprised by the number of people, especially white people, who are taking the problem of white supremacy in America seriously, perhaps for the first time. I saw an image taken in my home city of Tallahassee and sent to me by a friend, where a truck that for years drove up and down a capital circle, which is a major road in Tallahassee with a Confederate flag hanging in the bed, in more recent years had been replaced by a Trump flag. And then, surprisingly enough, yesterday, which was Saturday, as I record this intro on Sunday, a Black Lives Matter flag was hanging from that same truck. And so it seems to me that suddenly many white people are taking seriously the claims of the experiences of black Americans, and I'm thrilled about that. And... Also concerned because when we as white people first begin to confront white supremacy, when we first become truly aware of the magnitude of racism in the United States and frankly abroad, you know, my friends in Canada and the UK and Australia and France and Germany and the Netherlands and all those countries, I get your letters saying, oh, wow, I'm glad we aren't racist like the U.S. Friends, being less racist than the United States is no prize at all. So, uh, all of all of the countries with histories of colonialism have serious work to do on confronting white supremacy. And when we first start to do so, we don't know very much yet. By we, I mean white people. And so, I thought it would be helpful and useful this week to go back to a conversation I had recently on episode 210 of Ask Science Mike with my dear friend Tori Williams-Douglas. Tori is an educator, an advocate, um, a science professional, and um, has a series of work that she does called White Homework that helps white people start to understand and meaningfully engage with the problems of white supremacy. And I thought at this moment in history, When we are mobilizing and marching and demonstrating and organizing even in the middle of a pandemic. I and Greg and Caitlin and the entire team behind Ask Science Mike thought it would be a great time to revisit this conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my dear friend, Tori Williams-Douglas. Holy cow! Dear podcast friends, um, I am kind of freaking out right now. I'm just going to be honest. I have like little bits of uh, little tingly feelings in my fingers and in my arms, and I feel almost a little lightheaded. And I feel that way because I'm so excited about the recording we're going to do right now. And I'm always excited to talk with all of you, but I'm especially Excited that this week on Ask Science Mike, we are talking with Tori Williams-Douglas, who you may know on Twitter as at Tori Glass, who is uh, an anti-racist educator, radical feminist, single mama, student, and by her own admission, a prolific tweeter. Uh, Tori is the creator of a curriculum program known as White Homework, which is one of the most terrific anti-racism resources that I'm aware of, available online or anywhere else. Uh, Just a guiding force in my life uh, and someone that I also consider a friend. So it is my great, great and genuine pleasure to welcome to Ask Science Mike this week, Tori.
0: Hi, everybody. Hi, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. How are you? Um, I am... I'm doing pretty well I'm doing pretty well honestly i'm I'm kind of excited about this year I feel like life is good and like i'm I'm hoping that you know we can we can make a difference together so mm-hmm. yeah I'm pretty good
1: mm-hmm. how are you I am good i uh I started this year with a week of intensive group therapy <laughs> like Ooh, you do wow okay um uh, I've had some. Some uh, really deep trauma to process and um, something that frequent listeners or people who've, who've read some of my writing might know is that I have a pretty ongoing uh, struggle with suicidality and um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: well-managed, by the way, but still there. And starting this year off with kind of that really, really, really deep work, um, mm-hmm. it's really helped and has changed my outlook so I feel you know less withdrawn socially than I can recall feeling in my life and wow. you know it's been gosh uh, I think almost a full month since I've had a single suicidal ideation which is probably a record for me um, mm. so it's it's this interesting thing where there's this macro view of the world where I have pretty deep and pressing concerns about climate and about the movements towards white nationalism, especially in the West, not just America, by the way. Um, Yeah. And yet I feel this profound hopefulness because of the growth I've experienced and the things that I've learned from friends like you. You know, I sometimes think if, um, and this is a, a very oversimplified and prosaic view of the world, but if like, You had an hour on primetime TV every night and Andre Henry did as well. Like most of our problems would just go away, (laughs) Uh, which is totally wrong. But it also underscores that despite concerning macro headwinds, I see things in my personal life and experience and the work of people I know that are actually pushing back on this collective darkness, this collective difficulty, this fear and anxiety, uh, that we feel about the world and a world that we're making together. Um, and that's kind of the juxtaposition that I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better personally, and that is making more hopeful, which is ideally making me a more effective actor in, in the world of, of justice work and anti-racism and feminism and, um, LGBTQ equality and all these things that I care so deeply about.
0: Mm. That's awesome. I was just um, enjoying hearing that you are are doing well despite everything, because I feel like that comes up. I, I, I'm sure people ask you this all the time, but people all people always ask me. They're like, um, "Okay, so how do you how do you stay hopeful <laughs> when it looks like the world is going to hell?"
1: Yeah, and it really does, like. As a former evangelical, to hell doesn't feel like that big an exaggeration,
0: <laughs> right? No, I mean, there's that's some the thing. Really
1: scary stuff out there.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: It's tough. But I also I'll tell you, and this might be um, this might be a predictor of somewhere places that our conversation goes. But as I've gotten like more personally involved in anti racist work some of the patterns of, you know, white guilt and white anxiety that I was in have lessened pretty considerably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a, as a pretty consistent pattern in my life when I spend a period of grief and lament and learning, um, with the people who are actually impacted by oppressive systems, but then start to act and take real action as doing the work has shown me to do. Um, that there are pretty profound personal and relational benefits that go along with that
0: that's
1: mm-hmm. um, just I don't know I guess that's I guess that's 2020
0: <laughs> yeah I love it It's so great
1: I asked Twitter if Twitter had questions for you and Twitter definitely had questions for you would you be okay if we just went in and explored some of the questions people in the public had for you?
0: yes absolutely sounds great.
1: For those of you who don't follow Tori on Twitter, one, how dare you? <laughs> and two, Tori is so loved on Twitter, which Twitter is not a place I usually think of love and positive experience, but I'm struck every time that I, I read what Tori's up to or every time I mention Tori, uh, just how overwhelming and positive and wonderful the response is. And uh, I don't think these questions are any exception. Um, and I'm not very creative, so I'm not going to curate these. Well, I'm just going to like chronologically scroll and ask the ones that look interesting. Um, so Blake said, "A uh, question for the moment: What are your current podcast recommendations?"
0: Okay, so um, a couple a couple weeks ago, I think it might, it may have been last month, but somebody, one of the like popular, so a lot of people on Twitter will like pose questions to all of their followers or anyone who happens to see the tweet. And like, sometimes these questions end up going extremely viral. Um, but one of the questions I feel like that came up recently was something about like, what is something that you do that like no one would expect based on your personality. And I can never come up with answers to these things, but <laughs> I realized that it was like, I listen to, I listen to a lot of podcasts by white dudes talking about like socialism and and Marxism. <laughs> and I'm like, this is very <laughs> off brand for me. Um, but yeah, so there's this podcast um, that's called uh, Red Menace, and um,
1: oh my god, that is a great uh-huh. name.
0: No, no, no. Mike is so good. Um, So I don't know. Actually, I don't know that much about like political theory, right? And like, it gets really. I I know a lot more about like conservative or like classical liberal political theory than than like socialism or or Marxism or whatever. Um, And so this kind of, even though it's a little bit above like my level, I guess I can keep up with it. Um, And so they talk about all of these like Marxist texts and they do like these super like deep dives into like chapter by chapter like kind of dig into them like tear them apart and um I actually don't know who hosts this but it sounds like two white guys to me um so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's like it's so incredible so they've been they've been discussing um the book the wretched of the earth by like the last several months Actually, (laughs) by um, Franz Fanon, I don't know actually how you pronounce his last name anyway. So, there's a couple of Red Menace podcasts. So, just so you know, it's it is it's the like pro Marxist podcast. (laughs) Um, I am
1: a hundred percent gonna check that out.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, you should. It's it's pretty heady, and and but if you're like a politics nerd, and and also the fact that I, I like the fact that they are not. Um, they're not just reading like other white dudes who have written about like Marxist Leninist thought or whatever. Um, so that that's really I, I like that a lot. Um and I've been like marathoning. So I find you usually find a podcast and like just go through and listen to every single episode. Um so right the podcast I'm marathoning right now is um Behind the Bastards. And Especially the the what really stuck out to me is that um, the host Robert Evans he wrote a book um, called The War on Everybody that's about uh, uh, the rise of, of fascism in the in the West and kind of the history, um, the going back to going back to World War II essentially. Um, it's again super accessible, but I've I've really been. I've really been appreciating that, and he's the audio book is actually on online too. But I like going forward. I feel like especially this year, understanding how like fascism works and like and and the ways that it contradicts itself, and like that's been really empowering for me because now when I see these like little traits online of of like people using quote unquote sarcasm to talk about. Like their hatred of of Jewish people or people of color, you know, trans people, whatever the case may be, um, that is that for me is like super empowering because I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing, I know what this is. Um, so yeah, that's a really good, great question. I have so I'm I'm like I listen to podcasts all day long every day, um, and I I should I should yeah, um, <laughs> I'm so ridiculous, Mike, <laughs> but yeah. I love I love like I love podcasts that like make fun of the Bible. So I'm so sorry because I'm sure some of the people <laughs> that listen to your show are Christians. Yeah, there are
1: many it, serious Bible it kills readers. Me.
0: So um listening. Yeah, like Sunday school dropouts and how to heretic are like I die every single week. It makes it brings me so much how joy. To I'm so sorry. I've
1: heard I enjoy how to heretic a great deal. That's a good show.
0: Yeah, but Sunday school dropouts, also, they go through, like, the entire Bible, just, like, book by book, and they're like, this is so stupid. <laughs> anyway, I, my sincerest apologies to all the Christians listening, but it is so funny. I never realized, like, <clears throat> I have, like, these random coughing fits. I feel like a little old lady right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I got a cold last, like, right before Christmas. and then. I still, I'm just like, just randomly erupt and like coughing, but um, yeah, no, I was, I was just gonna say, like, I never realized how the narrative in the Bible makes no sense in English. Like the stories are just so confusing. It's like, what is the point here? Oh. Um, I, I mean, I joked about this, um, after I saw, um, the rise of Skywalker, <laughs> but I was like, I actually. I don't have an expectation of any story to to have like a, a plot or like an overarching narrative. So to me, like this makes perfect sense because I grew up reading the Bible and you you can't really ask questions because God's ways are higher than our ways. And I was like, oh, no, this, this works for me. You don't have to be going anywhere with the story. I'm used to just sitting here and listening for hours.
1: I'm thinking about how cleanly you are slicing and dicing the listeners of this program uh, with your podcast picks. (laughs) I'm so sorry. The the like, no, it's it's fine. That the people who listen to the show. One thing I really love about them (laughs) is like, with really different belief systems, they kind of coexist in this media space. But I'm imagining like some of our currently identifying conservative evangelicals um being like yeah i'll check out red menace and how to heretic <laughs> it's 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 an interesting thought for me
0: i mean yeah i'm i'm here for like people that i don't necessarily agree with i mean there's a lot there's so many, there's so many good good podcasts i i can't even break dances with wolves and how to like good Ancestor. oh break so good so good um i also have been Lately, I've been loving um, um, Hood Rat to Head Wraps. I love, oh my gosh, those com- the conversations that they have on that uh, Erica and Ebony that they have on that show are so amazing. Um, so yeah, I have I have a ton, but for some reason, I just like geek out over. It's like, hey, it's white guys who're talking about socialism.
1: Well, I have a question for you. That's not a Twitter question. Okay. <laughs> like. How do you do this? Because every time someone asks me for a podcast that I'm listening to or a podcast I like, I can't remember a podcast that exists. I immediately go completely blank. And you're like just ba 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 bam 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 bam. Is you just have like a working brain, I guess? Is that
0: I mean, like I said, I, I really, I listen to podcasts like all day long. Like last night I couldn't sleep. And so I turned on, um, I just hit play on like some episode of Behind the Bastards and just listened to that for four hours in bed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that that, I, I am a prolific podcast listener as of this moment. But check in next year. Things could change.
1: Okay. Well, I had a flight from uh, Atlanta to LAX, which is a pretty decent flight. And I listened mm-hmm. to podcasts for the whole flight. And guess what? I don't remember what podcast I listened to. <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> I literally have oh no gosh. idea. Now, I if someone asks me something that was covered in those podcasts, I will immediately be mm-hmm. able to answer the question. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, where'd you learn that? i will be like, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where I got it's this really, information from, but it's
1: really, true. It's Yeah, well, no, I, I, I have a pretty good uh, internal, was this credible marker.
0: Yes. Anyway, yes. Kevin
1: Garcia, Absolutely. my dear friend, and I believe yours as well, asked mm-hmm. the question that always gets put on the end of a conversation like this. And so I'm glad it's going to happen towards the beginning. Kevin's question is what are your new projects? Like, so what are you working on?
0: Um, so I decided 2020 is my year to write a book. Um, yes. That is what I'm working on right now. Um, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm actually simultaneously writing two books, which is a terrible idea. Don't do it. um, but so I'm writing um, a book for white homework um, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of with a little bit of background, my life talking about, you know, talking about reparations and and kind of how I like ended up coming to this work. Um, and then I am at the same time, as I said, again, do not do this. It's a terrible idea. I'm writing a book about decolonization. So, um, and like imagining what that could look like and, and you know, ways for people to, to get involved in that work. Um, so yeah, those are, those are my two big projects. I'm also planning, um, some white homework events for this year, which I'm super, super, super excited about. Um, so Uh, it looks like the first one's probably gonna be in Minneapolis. Um, and I'm so stoked about that. Um, other projects turning, uh, making the podcast part of white homework, um, more regular this year, um, is something that I'm working on. So I have been working with, um, a co-host and producer to like make that happen. So. I'm I'm excited about that. Um, let's see. Otherwise, um, yeah, my like my littlest my littlest is going to be starting kindergarten this year, which is like <gasps> my heart. Oh wow, he's so cute, and I'm just I can't. Oh my gosh, my old my oldest is in second grade, so he'll be in third grade. And but yeah, my littlest is starting kindergarten. and I'm just like. <gasps> And it's, you know, what's crazy is like living in such a, it, we live in, in a society that is so, um, let me see. I don't want to use an ableist world word. It's, it's like living in the upside down, right? Like the fact that you, like I drop off, I am not a person of faith, but I drop off my kid at school and I see all of these little kindergartners with their little backpacks that are bigger than they are. And just like, Oh my God, like. I just, I actively have to stop myself from thinking about school shootings. And I just, yeah. it's, it's brutal. It's like, you, you, you gotta, you have to like, you have to hug your babies every single day and, and just be completely obsessed with them and tell them that no matter what, you love them, because it's like you, we have so little control. Um, We just, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it's just like, me seeing, like, all of these tiny humans, which I just... Oh, my gosh. I love kids. But, mm. yeah. It's it's so much. But, yeah. So, that's that's my other big project, is sending my baby off to school.
1: That is a big project, too.
0: It is. It is. No, it's, like, putting your kid... Especially for me, I feel like, because I wasn't allowed to attend school, um, because it's, like, e- evil and, and public school and whatever. Um, but... <laughs> It's like such a big deal for me because I didn't, I didn't go to school. So Mm -hmm. like putting my kids into that space, I'm like, oh, I have no idea what you're doing all day. And that's totally normal and okay.
1: (laughs) I also just want to call out and thank you for naming momming as a project that's important and significant because it seems like usually in a media environment, Men and women who discuss parenting as part of their life work, it's treated as an interesting human interest aside to the main Mm. work, so to speak. And that is really nasty patriarchy gross.
0: Um, (gasps) Yeah, totally. No, I, I mean, I see parenting as something that's like... I don't know. It's just, it's such an honor. And I know that there, you know, there are many people who would love to be able to be parents and, and that hasn't happened for them for whatever reason. So I'm, I'm extremely like thankful, grateful, hashtag blessed. Um, But yeah, it, it is. It's like, it's, it's a big, it's a huge part of my life. And I, I, I mean, it's coaching a little person like through the world so that they can grow up and be like a functional adult is such a big deal. And it's also like so fun. So yeah, that's, it's one of my projects.
1: All right. This is a, this is a great question. That's a little dated, but very important and something I think about constantly from Timothy. Okay. this is What are your thoughts on the musical Hamilton? Does it downplay slavery or does it empower people of color?
0: Um, both. <laughs> I think yes. it does both. Um, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I guess someone, somebody might make a musical about slavery and how shitty that was, Um, but it's not, it's not like a super fun topic to write or talk about or to see in entertainment. Um, But yeah, I think that it does, it does downplay it. It, you know, it, it touches on it, but not in like not not in super meaningful ways excuse me it's more like as a zinger like oh you're bad people because you're slavers um but it also has given so many opportunities to people of color um to help like launch their careers so i and i'm just i'm i'm obsessed with it personally so
1: yeah i am also obsessed with it i think it's incredible artistry um and if you were, I mean, I, I kind of empathize with Lin-Manuel and like, if you were to accurately portray the founding fathers, mm-hmm. not a fun musical like ever. <laughs>
0: no, I mean, it was a hard time. It,
1: it's like survival horror and they're the monsters.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a hard time for everybody. They made it like unspeakably hard for a smaller like subset of the population. Um but yeah, no. Yeah. So I think that I, I appreciate it for what it is. And I'm thankful that it was, you know, it was a very intentional choice to to cast the roles the way that they were cast. Um mm-hmm. and representation, you know, it means it means a lot to me. And um but yeah, I think yeah, once you start getting into like the the realities of of who the founding fathers were, like that's a little tough.
1: It for me it was like the first time I saw it I there's like this American mythology that's pretty fake, but mm-hmm. it was like if America tried to become what it pretends to be, it would look more like this. Is yeah, kind of my relationship like this is what an actual exceptional america would look like um
0: yeah absolutely
1: and so i thought that that like inspiring the imagination for people watching and normalizing kind of as you said just uh people of color playing these roles um yeah it's really important especially when you have so many nerd freak outs because like oh my god fictional character blank has just been played by a person of color and they're supposed to be white or or blue for god's sake uh or but then yeah it's no big deal to do like a period piece where white people play other ethnicities uh (laughs) <laughs> Hamilton. Hamilton was a a major like kind of strike back against all of that horseshit.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, I I, I appreciate it.
1: Another tweet okay. is Jamie, who said, "With a humble heart, I ask. It can be difficult for us white folk to join in anti-racism convos, especially since we are indeed the problem, and it's not Tory." et all, interesting use of at all job to answer our questions but how can we ask questions where to best get educated or remain observers until when blessed by you guys and then the little prayer emoji or hands emoji i don't know what you call that
0: mm-hmm. um I mean honestly that's kind of why I that's kind of why I created the White Homework Patreon page is cuz I know that people have questions and that's really allowed me to um like get into the weeds with a lot more people because yeah like I know that there's a lot of people <coughs> excuse me who have like questions like individual questions that they want to be able to have answered and like you might be going to like um a, a lecture at you know a university or a talk or or a, or a book reading or something like that but you can't really like have those super one-on-one conversations um so yeah that was a big part of why i created like the white homework patreon pages just so that people would have a little bit more of an opportunity to like reach out and ask those kinds of questions in an environment that is created specifically for education for learning anti-racism so you can join the White Homework Patreon if you want to. You can just go to whitehomework.com.
1: You should join the White Homework Patreon. That's what I I say. You should join it. You could join it. You should join it. It's going to skip a lot of work. So as a white person, I get it. At first, you hear all these terms, and they're really confusing, and they make you feel some weird, guilty, burning, shame, defensiveness. And so you're like, what do I do? I want to be a good person. Racism is bad. So I need to learn to be a good person. So this person who's just by what they've posted made me feel this burning emotion I don't like. I'm going to ask them for more specificity so that I can get rid of this feeling as fast as possible. <laughs> it's
0: kind of the, mm-hmm. the like
1: cycle I see people in. I don't want to feel like this. I want to be a good person and then when they like ask a uh, someone they've never met on Twitter who's, who retweeted a really, really pointed and in many places offensive question, they get even more upset when they get shut down or corrected. Um, so start at white homework. That is That is literally the easiest thing if you literally can't even get there yet. Like, Google is there, y'all, and like, it literally follow some people who talk about these things on social media. And at first, don't just start commenting. Just wait. Just read for a while. Sit with your feelings. But then you'll start to your brain. Being a brain will start connecting words together. And then you can... Almost any term, if you Google it, is going to be confusing and overwhelming and mixed with good and bad information. But if you do the same word and then the words reading list... <laughs> suddenly your mm, signal-to-noise mm. ratio really, really improves in my experience. So if I, if I Google uh, patriarchy, I'm going to get some good resources and I'm going to get right-wing conspiracy theories about feminist poisoning people. But if I do the same <laughs> thing and then reading list, suddenly I get some really quality resources that help me identify who to pay attention to And then someone's like already cataloged all this stuff, and now it's just my job to read. Um, And I, you know, that's important work. Uh, And I can tell you, gosh, I so wish white homework would have existed when I first started realizing how enmeshed in a system of white supremacy I was, because what an amazing. And life-changing resource that is sorry i'm not just like trying to plug your stuff tori i just uh <laughs> yeah, I really it's all
0: good uh, thank you I, no that means a lot. I'm, I'm glad that it's helpful yeah. for people like that it you know sometimes you don't get a ton of positive feedback that way so i'm glad to know that it actually is like a helpful resource for people
1: yeah it's uh i think it tilts all the way from uh helpful to life-changing But you also know I I think you're amazing. Ask Science Mike would not be possible without the support of my amazing sponsors. And they are amazing. The sponsors on this program are hand-selected, and I turn down far more sponsorship opportunities than I accept. I only advertise products that I personally use and enjoy and recommend on this program. And one of my most long-standing sponsors is KiwiCo. KiwiCo provides hands-on learning and experience-based play for people of all ages from, you know, very, very small children uh, all the way up to people in their uh, 104 plus, as they say on their website. And, uh, They've got a series of crates that help people experience STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. So for little ones, they have the panda crate, which is about exploring and discovering new concepts. And then as we move up in ages to the koala crate for ages 2 to 4, the kiwi crate, the classic, for ages 5 to 8, which is science, art, and more. The atlas crate, 6 and 11, with a geography and cultural focus. The doodle crate which is really fun. I've done a lot of doodle crates myself. Those are ages 9 to 16. That's focused on crafts and art. The Tinker Crate, one of my favorites, ages 9 to 16 plus. I'm an adult. I love it. I built a trebuchet using the Tinker Crate that I absolutely adore and that has showed up in some of my Dungeons and Dragons games, actually. Uh, There's also the Maker Crate for ages 14 to 104. That's art and design and the Eureka crate, ages 14 to 104, that is engineering and design. All of these crates come as you can get them as part of your subscription to KiwiCo. They'll mail them right to your house every week. They are recyclable. They are designed in California. Uh absolutely phenomenal fun products. We get four Kiwi crates every month at this point. We have a Eureka crate, a Maker crate, a Tinker crate, and a doodle crate, and when those arrive, we set them on the dining room table, and me and my wife Jenny and my girls Madison and Macy, uh, we pick who gets what crate each month, and sometimes negotiations are heated, <laughs> uh, and in this time when we are social distancing, uh, when a lot of people are homeschooling, these are great enriching activities that really provide deep learning opportunities, and um, Frankly, a time to get away from the screens and do something hands-on. You can also change which crate you get at any time for any reason. So month to month, you can switch between the different lines. It's a ton of fun, y'all. I absolutely love Kiwi KiwiCo. And for any Ask Science Mike listener, you get a special offer. 60% off your first month of literally any of KiwiCo's lines. To learn more, just go to KiwiCo.com slash AskScienceMike, and you can sign up today. Again, that's KiwiCo.com slash AskScienceMike. And as we are all social distancing, I've noticed from your messages that people are dealing with serious mental health challenges and loss of income, and the inability to visit a therapist in person are exacerbating those problems. And so my friends at BetterHelp are here to help you. I'm a BetterHelp customer. I talk to my therapist every week in an affordable, private, online way. I can text my therapist whenever I want. I can do a call with my therapist. I can do a video chat. Uh, it lets me stay safe in my home while connecting with a licensed professional therapist online, and BetterHelp will match you with one of over 9,000 licensed therapists to give you feedback, advice, and guidance from a counselor selected just for you. How's it work? You go to betterhelp.com slash science mic, where they're going to give you 10% off your first month's service, and you'll fill out a little questionnaire that helps BetterHelp understand what you're looking for and who might be best able to help you. And I've heard from you all that are interested in therapy and concerned about the process of finding a therapist. And BetterHelp does that for you. And if it's not a good fit, it's no problem. BetterHelp will uh, assign you to a new therapist at your request anytime you want. No questions asked. No extra fee. So it really is a wonderful way to get professional, convenient, and effective online therapy. And best of all, it's affordable. You pay a flat fee for unlimited counseling with your counselor, and uh, that those services are available on a sliding scale for people who have experienced some kind of income disruption because of COVID-19. So BetterHelp is a wonderful partner. I can't recommend them enough. To learn more, just go to BetterHelp.com/scienceMike today and learn how you can get 10% off your first month of therapy. You answered these on Twitter, but I, I just feel like both of these questions are going to resonate with a huge swath, like 80% plus swath of the listeners. So these are from Jessica. The first question is, can we hone in on your Enneagram number?
0: (laughs) I've been trying so hard, Jessica. I've been trying so hard. I don't know. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Okay. So when I first tested, I took like one of the freebie tests online and, um, it said Enneagram two and I didn't know anything about the Enneagram. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, I started reading about Enneagram two and I was like, yeah, like I definitely, I have always felt very passionate about helping people. I, I think that that probably comes through in a lot of my work on online and, and with my homework. Um, and so I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then I, over time began realizing, um, that I I disintegrate to eight, right? I really had to, like, triangulate this. Or, I, I'm scu- excuse me, I, I disintegrate to five, which is something that eights do. Um, and I thought part of it was mm. because my mom, I think, is an eight, and so you can't really have, like, two female eights, like, in the same space. Um, like, that's just a very kind of... Uh, Bowl and China shop sort of scenario. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I I definitely disintegrate to five. Like I definitely go very like inward and 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 shut down and get really quiet. Um and so a couple of people suggested to me, um um Jamie Lee Finch and and Mason Menega were both like, I think that you might actually be an eight um and not a two. So I've, you know, I kind of sat with that for a while and I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Like I definitely have like a very strong personality. Like I'm very passionate about like standing up for or standing up against like injustice and like speaking truth to power. I'm like, this makes so much sense. And so then I went and I took the ready test. Um, and that pegged me as a seven. And so now I'm just like, I'm lost. I don't know. I'm lost in the Enneagram woods. So if somebody wants to help me, can somebody just like can somebody just tell me what my type is? Because I don't know.
1: <laughs> People, man, that, I, I don't know. I, I've come to understand being a quote Enneagram 9 mainly as the intersection of my codependency and CPTSD. Um, and those are more helpful mm-hmm. ways for me to interrogate those patterns of behavior than kind of the Enneagram model. Um, but gosh, after all these years, that is still people love to, and it's like spreading. I'm noticing that I get, as I get further and further from Christian or even spiritually inclined spaces, Enneagram starting to show up in like work meetings and in the mm. you know media and people like that pick a number sort of self-typing and self-identifying, but I think, the kind of nuance you're describing here is like, well, none of these really, I mean, I guess if I could take a little of that and a little of that and a little of that, and now we're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's something I think about a lot. And I'm just, I have such Enneagram fatigue. How, do you ever get Enneagram fatigue?
0: Um, I mean, I haven't, I've just, I've used it as something that I enjoy and like as a model that, you know, when it works for me, I it's, I take it. And if it isn't working for me, I leave it. So I haven't, I haven't so much, but I could definitely see like being in a different space, um, like socially, like how that could be become overwhelming or kind of like the, cause it's, it's so fun to have conversations, especially with people you don't know. If you don't, if you go and you like have, cause I've done this before, um, like meeting people on Twitter, like I met um, a couple of like Twitter friends for dinner one night because they happened to be in town and we spent like most of the night talking about Enneagram (laughs) and it was kind of great because it's like you know where people are coming from like you have a way to orient yourself in in terms of like how they perceive things and how they respond um but I (laughs) excuse me I can definitely see how um how it could be sort of an overwhelming thing in another space in another context
1: Or I could just learn some emotional maturity. (laughs) I just heard you describe emotional maturity and taking ownership of your own feelings. That seems like maybe a thing I should invest some some energy in. Uh, This next question, also from Jessica, I think is the blockbuster of the whole set and something Mm. that I'm fascinated by. Not only in general, but with you in particular. So here's the question: How did you come to have such a positive perspective on your body? Was that a difficult process?
0: Um, I mean, I definitely grew up in like the Thin Inspiration Tumblr world. Like that was where where women like and femmes are just functionally starving themselves and then posting pictures of it on Tumblr, um, as like fitness inspiration for other people. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see like the big, like shift, the big dynamic change. Cause I, I mean, I remember like I, you know, I was doing all the things and like working out and really restricting my eating. And I like, I I got down to like a size zero and you know, I was mm. like, why do I still think I'm fat? Um, Yeah, I, re- I realized pretty quickly that that was not, like, that wasn't sustainable in in terms of, like, you're just chasing an arbitrary number on a pair of pants. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um But for me, it started as, like, a practice of appreciating other people's bodies like after I had kids and then you know like wasn't just automatically a size two anymore um which is this is this is who I was right that I was like I'm a size two and I'm like I really need to be a size zero or maybe a double zero um Mm. so Mm. I got after I had kids I was like okay well this isn't this isn't working obviously and like I need to be kind to myself. I don't really know how to do that because I've I've never done that. I've always beat myself up. And so um, I was on vacation. Um, I, you know, I I just had my second baby like 10, 10 months before or so. So it's about 10, 11 months postpartum still breastfeeding and like sitting on the beach in Kauai And I was like, okay, every woman who walks past me, because I'm so programmed to be judgmental of other people's bodies, of my body, I'm going to choose to find something about that person that I feel is beautiful and I'm just in my own head, I'm going to appreciate that about them. And you know, like it was, it wasn't like a super busy day, but I was like sitting on the beach, like playing with my kids and like every time a woman would walk past or somebody who, who presented as more feminine, um, I would find something that I was like, she has an amazing smile or I love her hair or like just, just something. Right. So that I was, so I was finding beauty instead of going like, oh, her boobs are weird. Like, oh, her hips, like, oh, her thighs, her ankles. Um, like training my brain to say beauty in all kinds of bodies instead of, and like undoing that, that, that programming of judgment and condemnation in other people. Like I had to really start with other people cause I couldn't do it with myself. Um, mm-hmm. and eventually like I, I turned that into a, into a practice, into a habit and eventually was able to, to start doing it with, with myself, with my own body. Um, but yeah, I was, because I was so deep in that, it was really difficult for me to, um, for me to, to change that automatically. Like it, it really, it really required like a commitment, like mentally to appreciate the people, the human beings that I was around and, and appreciate their bodies. Right. Um, not just like, Oh, you're a human, you have value, whatever, but it's like no, like find beauty in everybody. Um, and so I think that, that was that was really like the key for me personally to kind of undo that toxic narrative, like internal narrative about, about like this body perfection garbage that we still have like rampant in our society.
1: Mm. Mm. That really I've never heard someone else describe that process. I had a mystical hmm. experience a few years ago. And after I had that experience, suddenly everybody was beautiful to me. Every person I saw just was hmm. astoundingly physically beautiful to me. Like everyone just looked like they couldn't look any better than they looked. And yeah. that has stuck with me since that experience. But it took so long for that acceptance of other bodies to come back to acceptance of my own body. It was somehow easier through something as powerful as a mystical experience to change my framing of how I saw other people. But my brain really, really, really clung to uh, shame about me. And for I had a, a progression where I started at accepting my body shape and my body appearance. Uh, but then it still took several years for me to overcome shame over my facial expressions and mannerisms often when i see Mm. video clips of myself i would see things that um look stereotypically neurodivergent and i would feel shame about it and it's only been very recently that i've started to be able to look in the mirror or look in look at a, a video of myself and think i like that person I like what they're doing. I like the way they move. And I just was, I don't know, I guess I was reflecting. I haven't heard that kind of outside-in approach verbalized outside of my own experience before. And that was really encouraging and helpful for me to know that for someone like you, who I associate with profound body positivity for, for yourself and for other people, that you had in, in you know a similar journey, yours being uh, more intentional, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. um, I think has a particular beauty to it. But um, that's a really helpful framing for me. I hope that a lot of people listening um, also find that framing helpful. That is, That is really insightful. I'm a weird interviewer. I was just listening. It's like you say something and then my response is invariably some verbose version of wow, that's great.
0: <laughs> I think that makes you good oh, at
1: your job. Man. I guess. Well I do a thing, uh the people I interview on my program are people I love and respect. So I don't have like a uh where were you on May 5th, 2018 sort of questions ready to go because <laughs> I just like get people I really admire that I want people who listen to my show to to encounter. It's just I, it's something I noticed. Uh, if you want a really positive interview experience, Ask Science Mike is your show. Okay. Mitchell asked two, not one, but two phenomenal questions. First question is what, if any, structures can be reformed in America, American culture and what are too rooted in white supremacy to have any hope? Damn the damn is my commentary not part of the original question
0: <laughs> um man that's that's tough because yeah. there's just so i mean there's so much um it's like how yeah, which structures uh, god i don't know and it's it's what's hard for me because what i've been thinking about lately is the fact that um so many people on the right first and and I've been writing about this too actually but for so many people on the right their belief is that um americanness and whiteness are inextricable and so the idea that in not that much time we are going to have a majority not white nation to them is a bad thing um and you know, I, I think of one example that I've been thinking of a lot lately is is um, like Britain and France, like Britain and Germany and how they like hated each other. And, and you know, even before they were like nation states, they were like these collective groups of, of kingdoms and they all hated each other and they all fought one another all the time. And like hundreds of thousands and millions of people died over like a millennium or something. And now they're all like BFFs and they all get along so well. <laughs> and um like imagining, even for me as someone in my mid thirties, like imagining like France and Germany at war is just crazy. Like it's, I, I like, I get it conceptually. Like I understand the concept of like, Oh yeah, that was a thing that happened like world war two. And then like before that it was like world war one. And then before that it was like all of these skirmishes. And before that it was like all these wars. <laughs> um But I, I, you know, and they see one another as, as Western Europe. I mean, at least the white people do. Um, but like there was, there was all this conflict and, you know, now in terms of like the geopolitical situation there, there's not anymore, but, um, there's been like this kind of complete embrace of now it's now it's all falling apart because Brexit and and like you said, the rise of white nationalism and and everything. But um, yeah, there's like for a while there, there was like this embrace of like we're all kind of in this together. We have very sim- similar shared values, and I just don't see white America getting to that point. I mean, I I know that it's possible again. Like I can conceptualize it as like this is a thing that could happen, but. I, I I don't I don't see it. Like I see the data and 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 you know mm-hmm. white conservatives are willing to admit to to pollsters, like to Gallup and to pew. Like, yeah, no, I see this as a bad thing. I see America having more black and brown people as as being bad for the country, and America is less American with more brown people in it. Um so yeah, it's hard. It's hard because it's like we could we could change like some of those some of the systems, right? Like there are a lot of systems that that we could change. I mean, I, I think of like Um, policing and incarceration obviously are, are the two really big ones that come to mind, but also just like the racist way that we fund like public education. Like that's something that could be reformed, right? There's, there's one, um, (laughs) I have one thing that could be reformed. Um, but, um, yeah, like having equitable school, like equitable school funding would make a massive difference in so many lives. Um, but yeah, it's hard for me, at this point, to imagine us getting to the getting to the point where white conservatives see black people and and you know Latinx and 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 um, indigenous people as just as American as they are, um, and I think that that for me, I don't know why, but f- for me right now, that feels like kind of the bigger issue. Is it's like if if we can't get the people who would like to exclude us. To see us as just as much part of America as as they are, then I I don't know. I don't really know how to answer mm. the question of institutions when we can't. When I can't answer the question of individuals. Right. So yeah, it's to, tough. To
1: your point, it's not not just that white conservatives, um, and I, I'm always careful saying white conservatives because. Uh, white progressives will then tune themselves out and pat themselves on the back, which is yep. almost always not correct or true. Uh, but what I've noticed since the 2016 election is not only that white people will admit to pollsters that a more black and brown America is a problem, they'll admit it to mm-hmm. other people. the The number... Mm-hmm of people I've had conversations with, both people I know and strangers in airports who will speak openly yeah. of the worsening of America based on its blackening and browning, is like a shocking increase. Um. So there's something for me as kind of like a, a whitewashed MLK white kid, right? I was growing up in a period where they told us uh, the white children, the civil rights movement changed America and they got rid of all that nasty racism. And that was like a narrative that I accepted. Um, even have done done a significant amount of self-work and, and research and learning on race and racism, the prevalence of how many people and how many communities will just, if they see no, pigment around on faces the the code switching that comes out is whoo it is scary and um as i was like thinking about this question and how i was relieved i wasn't answering it i just sort of like hypothetically started trying to think of like well what's the easy system that i could name and i immediately thought what about healthcare and i was like no like that you would need a lot of reform in healthcare, not only access, but trained medical doctors and medical professionals minimizing reports of pain and discomfort uh, among black pa- black patients, especially black women, in a way that significantly impacts treatment and morbid- morbidity rates. Um mm-hmm. like there's not a Oh, this one wouldn't be too hard system in our culture. It is. Right. That's why a lot, I think our end of the year goal for white homework should be like 15 million signups. Um,
0: Yep. Sounds great. Love it.
1: Mitchell's second question was, and this one is for a big part of this audience, a big one. How is atheism important and informative for you?
0: um okay I'm sorry how is atheism what now
1: important important and formative for you
0: oh okay um I mean honestly I feel like there's a fair amount of overlap in like this answer with the last one (laughs) it's like (laughs) even though I don't have like I don't have like a faith belief necessarily. I mean I I have spiritual practices um in terms of, of meditation and and stillness and and writing um and uh hiking is like a spiritual practice for me. Um so yeah but I, I think that like I don't I don't really ID as atheists necessarily, like unless I know that I'm with someone who is anti-racist or who is like aspiring to be anti-racist. Because again, it is a space where most people, not everybody, but like most people are willing to admit out loud, just like you said, that they think that America getting browner and blacker is worse. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So um, yeah, like the terminology is, is, uh, pretty loaded, I guess. Um, but I think, you know, and I, am pretty sure I said this last time we talked, but for me, shared values are more important than shared beliefs. So, you know, if I can work with people who are, um, who are actively participating in, in their local church congregation. You know, if we, if we share values like that, that is fine for me. And we can still have conversations about faith and non-belief and spirituality, um, because, because we have the same values. Um, and so, I mean, I do, I do really like people, like, like, I really like meeting people who, um, Aren't spiritual? Uh, I enjoy like having conversations with people where that's not like the expectation or like the underlying assumption. Um, but I also really enjoy, you know, and especially in communities of co- in communities of color, like spirituality is a very important part of life for um, you know black and Latinx and indigenous communities, especially uh, more so than white neighborhoods and, and communities. Um, if you look at the data, so, um, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy like working alongside people of faith in the same way that I, you know, I enjoy working alongside, um, people that don't have any belief or just kind of searching or are into, you know, some unnamed mystical practice that they just find meaning in. Um, I think that, yeah, I think I think the term atheist is just it's so loaded that it's like hard for me. Um, and even like the even like the group that I go to here in Portland, like the black nonbelievers group, it's like they don't even use the word atheism. It's it's just black nonbelievers because it's like, well, you know, you kind of know where you're wanted and where you're not. Um, so, uh,
1: My atheist friends get very upset when I describe atheism as a movement that is about as white as white evangelicalism and mm-hmm. they don't like it when i say that but uh <laughs> yeah i think the demographics and who shows up at free thought events so-called free thought events kind of speaks for itself mm-hmm. um yeah to that point i mean that that's you know uh, really early in my work when i realized like i was at the intersection of kind of post evangelicalism and atheism. I was like, Whoa, this is white. Like this is, I have somehow identified an even wider area of conversation than the evangelical church. I left, um, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, realizing that started to change the way that I approached my work and what I was doing and what was important for me to be doing. Um, because it, it, that, um, that is a group that speaks of having really inclusive values uh, that also is really comfortable putting together events where the token identity is a white woman.
0: Um, right? <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yep.
1: I mean, it's wild. And not in a good way. I mean, there's good wild and there's bad wild, and that's the bad wild. And I'm just right now... Taking a deep breath, imagining the cards and letters I will get after that. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. So I would
1: say my my beloved, no, that from what I said, not from you said. For my beloved atheist listeners, I would say, um, don't argue me that I'm wrong. Show me that I'm wrong with the lineup of participants on, on stage and in the audience at one of your events or gatherings. Uh, cause that's where I'm at these days. No rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Just show me, just show me, send me a picture, just send me a picture. Then I'll go, okay. Um, last question from Twitter. I think this is a great question. Although you say you, 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 you on Twitter said, no one's going to like your answer preemptively. So now I'm even more fascinating. What are the top three okay. books that you would recommend to listeners about Any topic, fiction or nonfiction, and this is a reading audience. So, if there's any question they're going to hone in on, it's going to be this one. Wait,
0: I thought that that was. I thought my response to that was. I thought I was responding to a different question. Oh no!
1: Oh, the first one. We'll do both. Fine, we'll do both. Then that. Then I definitely want to hear it. If that's the one, I was so excited. I was like, "Who recommends books people don't like? Is that even a thing?" (laughs) Okay, then the other question. I misread that. Uh, Then the first question in that series is, who does Tory like in the Democratic primaries?
0: That's the one where I was like, people are not going to like my answer. Um, Oh, gosh. Well, no one likes anyone Um, else's
1: political opinions, as far as I can tell.
0: Fair. Very fair. Um, Okay. So, my my take... um, Since since the field is growing wider and more um, more male, <laughs>
1: gosh, isn't it?
0: Uh, okay, so here's my thought. Right, is we really, really, really need to be playing the long game, and when it comes down to, um, I I think that the thing that especially um, white liberals don't don't pay as much attention to like white liberals are very into like the 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 voting for president right and they're into the big personalities and they're into the people with the big ideas and I totally understand that and that is fun but like in terms of where you can have the biggest impact and 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 literally potentially be like saving lives is when you are voting for like DAs and and judges and sheriffs.
1: Yeah, um, like
0: um, those are the things that like that I'm concerned about when I leave the house. Right, like I know that we have these overarching issues, um, in terms of of climate change and and um, bodily autonomy for people with uteruses and um being able to access healthcare like I, and I I do get that I'm not trying to dismiss those things at all but in terms of like like really big impact that you can make in your community like please pay attention to the bottom of the ballot because that is where yeah that's uh, where policies are made that affect policing and incarceration um and and education um and and people getting access to to local resources in terms of like food, healthcare, um um other mental health support. Um yeah, I think that there's way too much co- like okay, so Oregon, I live in Oregon. We vote in the Democratic primary on like June 13th or something, so the conversation's pretty much over. I haven't even been paying attention to who who's leading right now because my vote isn't really going to count. Um usually by the time Oregon gets to vote in the primary like the nominee has already been decided and we don't there's you know the population of the state is about four million so it's not like we're gonna push something over the edge one way or the other um so you know I'm I have people that I like more and I have people that I like less and I have people that I will like hold my nose and vote for because I do obviously like Trump is a major problem um but (laughs) you know i don't want to be dismissive of that and and, and you know especially like the crisis on the border like it, it it really is like that is also a matter of life or death i'm not trying to i'm not you know and and like all this geopolitical garbage that he's running around like behind closed doors like i'm not here for any of that um but like please even if trump doesn't even if trump gets reelected like please pay attention to the bottom of the ballot like that is really and if you don't know how to vote, like honestly, there are um, there are local voters guides that you can pick up at, at community centers. Um, there are depending where you live. There's probably like lots of progressive local radio shows that are discussing um, things that are going on in your community, in your county, in your state. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, I I don't you know n- no presidential candidate is going to be perfect but i you know i i will obviously i'm going to end up voting for president um you know voting voting against trump really is like the baseline for me but um yeah like that's a lot of a lot of people have a lot of power and and it's like these these smaller these smaller um Areas, districts, like, you know, the sheriffs like that are being chosen for the county, like that makes a really big like they those individuals can make a really big, sometimes life or death impact on a day to day basis for people of color. Um, and, and poor white people. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say to that.
1: <laughs> I have never been more disappointed in my life and fair I expected a really a really controversial answer with that prep. And instead you just had the truth. (laughs) (laughs) You just just said the truth. That's all you just said. Oh my gosh. We get so obsessed with the damn POTUS. And that is not what impacts people's everyday lives in a significant way. It's just not. Holy shit. Yes. The only reason I like (laughs) the POTUS election is people actually show up to vote because they think it's important, but then they mm-hmm. don't even look mm-hmm. up the down ballot stuff. And if you like, yeah. if your person who says that you care about justice in my mind, the most important vote I cast in the midterms was for LA County Sheriff. That was the yeah. most important vote I had. Uh, and I did mm-hmm. a lot of research and I had, I had trouble with both candidates, but I wrote them both letters and I asked them questions. And because it's a local election, guess what? They wrote me back.
0: They wrote you back. <laughs> yep.
1: Because like it, your vote in a local election is a huge, you're like, my vote doesn't matter. Your vote is huge in a local election. I'm sorry. I'm literally mansplaining right now, but it's because I'm so friggin' excited. Yes. Cause you're so right. God.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, um, like the school board, like stuff like that. That's like the difference between whether or not a kid gets breakfast in the morning. Sometimes, like, please, like, please consider your privilege when you are choosing to ignore, like, all the little stuff at the bottom of the palette that you doesn't you know you don't recognize the names. Right? You're gonna have to go and do a bunch of research. You're gonna go ahead and have to write letters or have conversations on the phone. Like, but like is that worth it to you like for kids to get breakfast in the morning come on
1: this is a this is a tirade this is off topic and we're <laughs> we're way over time i'm still going to do it damn it where i live the little community i live in in la county they were wanting to build affordable housing units on what is currently an abandoned golf course and the neighborhood started pushing back And there was a, there was a meeting with the zoning board and I went to the meeting and everybody didn't want this housing development to happen. They wanted to keep an abandoned golf course abandoned more than they wanted to give people access to affordable housing. And I I stood up and I pushed back and I got booed and I lost, (laughs) um, but then a few people came up after me and they said, I, I thought it was important too, but I was too afraid to stand up. And boy, mm. next time that comes up, I'm going to do some organizing before the meeting. And I'm going to walk in with a plan mm. and that stuff 250 affordable housing units in Los Angeles County. I'm sorry, that's a big deal. That is a life changing. That's a huge, deal for yeah, a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's so, a kid being able to get to school consistently.
1: That's right. So I'm all about local, 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 local politics.
0: Like hyper-local. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: Especially because y'all, if you're white and you're affluent, you got some nimby, nimby neighbors. Like Mm -hmm. the the thing that drives me the, the most insane about California progressives is they want every service available. They'll vote for tax increases. And they absolutely will not allow it to be built in their neighborhood. And so there's literally yep. funds of money in California to provide solutions to homelessness and to provide affordable housing and do all these things that we say are important. But every time they actually try to build it somewhere, then the neighborhoods say no. Um, and so if if we actually say these are things we care about, we have to start organizing together and allow them to get done, even. Within an eye shot of our front door. <sighs> <sighs> sorry. That was cathartic for me. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> last oh, question. 70 minutes in. I am so sorry. I just adore you. <laughs> and I just like to hear you talk. Uh, we'll go back to the top three books. That you would recommend on any topic. Fiction or non-fiction. And we'll end there.
0: Top three books. Oh man. This is like. So the book that I read all the time for my ADHD, this is going to be a funny, this is super funny. Um, So there is a book called The Willpower Instincts by Kelly McGonigal. And I listen to that book at least once a month, probably more. Um, It is full of like measurable ways to stay on focus um to stay on task to like commit to bigger goals and be able to like mark your progress um as someone who is like self-diagnosed i have an appointment coming up here in a couple weeks um like, yeah, it's really, habit formation is really hard when you have ADHD. And so being able to, like, go back and listen to this book over and over and over again and go and, and like, hear all of these different ideas that she puts forward um, for um, just being, like, being able to, like, stay focused. And, and she's got all of these, it's full of really accessible things, right? Like, none of it is, like, oh, like, go and, like, buy this course or, you know, go on this diet or, (laughs) or filter your water this way. Like, it's all like, okay, you should start every day by like meditating for 10 or 15 minutes. Like that really helps Mm -hmm. improve like focus and concentration. Um, or like, this is the first time in my life, just as an example that I have like exercised regularly and it's really, it's really great. Like I do it for my mental health. I, you know, haven't lost a pound. Um, and but, but for me, like, it makes it makes such a huge impact on, like, my baseline, right? Like, my baseline for my mental health is so much higher when I do it. And now I'm just like, oh, this is what a habit is like. Like, this is like, I'm, mm. I just am in this process during the course of my week where I expect that I'm going to go to the gym and then I go to the gym and I leave. And every time I'm like, wow, I'm so glad that I did that. Um But it took me until I was 35 years old to get to the point where I could make that a habit, even though I've had gym memberships before. Um, So having that resource has been, like, really, really invaluable to me. Um, Let me see here. Um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by um, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi is, um, I would say, probably one of the most important books that's come out in like
1: human history, come
0: out <laughs> that's come <laughs> out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's I'm like so obsessed with that book. Um, I learned so much and it really like challenged even like some of my ideas about like what racism is and like the ways that it plays out. Um, and um, I'm really big into audiobooks. Because, again, like ADHD and being able to, like, clean and listen at the same time is, is really um, really nice, I think, as opposed to having to, like, sit down and listen. Like, being active and listening is good for me. Um, and, like, he, like, narrates the, the audiobook himself, and I really like it. Man, I – the book that I'm reading right now, I just finished um, Saying Unburied Sang by Jessmine Ward, which just gutted me. Oh, my God. Oh, it's like, it's so good and powerful and like, just soul crushing. Um, and yeah, I mean, right now I'm, right now I'm reading, um, I read anything that Ta-Nehisi Coates writes. So I'm, I'm reading the water dancer right now. So that's four. Mm. (laughs) I can count. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure that I'm going to have a whole bunch of, I'm going to have a whole bunch of books on, on the white homework page too for Black History Month. So yeah, if you need more than, if you need more than the four that I just recommended, keep your eye out because those will be coming shortly.
1: I've been trying to build the space to read ta new book, but I always have to like build in weeks of depression and shame after I read one of his books because... I'm a I'm a writer and he's so good that I just experienced want to like,
0: give up. Oh my god. I just
1: want to give up as a writer. Like I'll never yes. do this. Yeah. I'll never I'll never write a sentence that good in my life. Not a book, not a paragraph. I'll read some sentence and I'll just be like that is the maximal yeah, expression of that idea possible.
0: Yeah, like I you know. Could right. He like make writes things sentence. and it just like it just like sits in your soul and like simmers and like doesn't go anywhere for months. So yes, I relate to that on a spiritual level.
1: <laughs> it's just, oh, I give up. I give up. I'm just I'm not gonna write anymore. <laughs> I'm done.
0: I quit, I quit just, writing.
1: I quit writing. I'm just gonna read just read Ta-Nehisi and cry.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah absolutely not even absolutely. But not
1: even because something has been said that's sad sometimes just something beautiful <laughs> or just clear just clear just god yeah. ah the brevity and the clarity and the emotionally mm-hmm. evocative imagery who does he think he is that's the question if i could interview Tanazi coates that would be my question who do you think you are writing mm. like that when there's other writers in the world. <laughs> Sorry, this that's real inside baseball, but my gosh, what a talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other one, yeah. and this one bothers me because we're friends, but whenever I read Austin Channing, I'm just like, what? Mm-hmm. What?
0: And then oh this is the other
1: thing that, that, that frustrates me is like, what if. Austin Channing Brown or ta Coates could devote all their energy to just writing without having to address white supremacy. Like, just mm-hmm. imagine that. Whoa. Yeah. Like the destruction to art and beauty alone that white supremacy creates is in and of itself a profound indignity. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I've been practicing something, Tori, and that is that when people speak, I just listen to them. And then I don't plan a response while they're talking. I just sit and listen. <laughs> and then when they're done talking, I sit and wait until I have a sincere response and then I offer it. And it it feels good. I'm just not sure it's great radio. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, that's we'll fair. See.
0: That's legit. I hear you. <laughs>
1: This is, here's my thoughts on writing. Who, the, the nine writers who are listening are like, yes, exactly. And then a bunch of people are like, what are you, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Tori. Mike, we have to, we have to plan an event together. I'm in. Like, so we can do like a long, fo- this is so ridiculous. It's like nearly 80 minutes later <laughs>
1: <laughs> for Twitter questions. 80 minutes mm-hmm. of Twitter questions. Yeah. I would love yeah. to we do an event to... with you. That would be really exciting. Yeah. Um, yep. I bet if we called Kurt Kroon, we could make that happen. It'd be a real easy, easy go. Um, yep. That's my dear friend at Cascade Church PDX who is very open to having off the wall convos of any variety and making a physical space for that to occur. And um, yeah. But yeah, I would love that. I, I think I think that'd be really exciting. I just, I, yes, I'm sure people will listen to this, and yes, I'm sure people will get things out of it. As for me and my selfish ass, I just like talking to you, <laughs> <laughs> and like tweeting you is wonderful, and I like tweeting with you, and I like texting with you, but I love talking with you. You, uh, are uncommonly brilliant and insightful but also just a joy to converse with i so value Um, you taking the time today to speak with me it has i i look forward to this conversation with anticipation all day and i feel so happy that i set my expectations too low on what it would be Hmm. like to speak with you um you're a wonderful, wonderful human being, Tori, and I am profoundly glad to know you.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Mike. That means so much to me. You're going to like make me cry over here.
1: I'm actually crying. <laughs> 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 I am literally crying as I reflect okay, well, on how glad I we'll am. Cry, that you're I,
0: we'll cry home. together next time. It'll be great. We can just make All people right. come watch us cry.
1: <laughs> coming soon soft tears <laughs> with tori douglas no. and science
0: <laughs> i'm dead i'm dead i'm dead now <laughs> goodbye i'm dead
1: <laughs> all right not quite done tori when people want to connect with you they want to connect the like white homework where do they go
0: yeah um so i'm usually to be found on Twitter um at Tory Glass, uh Tori with an I. Um, let's see. Website is ToriGlass also on Instagram at Tori Glass. Um if you want uh white homework Patreon, you can go to whitehomework.com or um patreon dot slash Tory Glass will also get you there. Um yeah that's that's most of the places. Um I really you know, I, I appreciate, Mike, that you being a patron because that gives me the ability to, you know, sit down and actually be able to write a book this year. So that's very mm-hmm. meaningful to me. Um, but, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's basically it. If you go to my website, too, um, there's a bunch of white homework resources, many of which are available for free. So if that's something that you're interested in in terms of anti-racism, like, yeah, definitely check that out.
1: And if you're driving or you're on the treadmill or you're like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I can't remember all those URLs. Don't fear. You just tap on this very podcast episode in the very podcast player you're using right now. We'll have links you can tap in the show notes that will take you directly to Tori and the tremendous work that she has available online. Thanks for listening, my friends, and I'll talk to you again next week.